every one of you in worship, and I would invite you to just close your eyes and bow your heads and let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this chance to worship together. We thank you that we are here in this place, and we pray that your spirit would blow upon us afresh, we would be touched by your holy presence, and we'd be empowered and encouraged to live as your people. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I have a question for you. Have any of you ever met a king? And we just don't have like a lot of experience with that, right, in this culture, in our Western culture. But I actually have a story because one time, many moons ago, I met a king. Some of you know that back in, just the other day, back in 1981, when I was very young, I served as a youth in mission in Zaire, Africa, now the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was there for four months, assigned to a public health clinic. I weighed a lot of babies. I packaged a lot of pills. I made a lot of rehydration kits. And it was an amazing, life-changing experience for me, to say the least. But one time, I was traveling with another youth in mission named Elizabeth. We went to visit a missionary doctor, Dr. Ken and his family, up in Bulape. And while we were there, we observed surgery. I mean, I was 20 years old. It was amazing. But one Sunday afternoon, we got word that we were going to meet the king. Dr. Ken had been requested to have an audience with the king. So we got in the Land Rover, and we drove way out into the bush, way deep into the jungle. And there we were. We arrived at this place. No buildings around, lots of huts, and there was the king. I remember it vividly. I, and I even found my journal to make sure my memory is how I remembered it that day. And there he was sitting on a large red velvet chair on a piece of carpet with a makeshift tent over it. He had very Western attire on, black boots, a big black hat, a nice big wristwatch on his hand. And people were so excited to gather to see their king. They were there to praise him and, and, and just, they didn't get to touch him, but they were pretty excited. And I have to admit, heck, I was, I was pretty jazzed too, just to be that near a king. Well, I don't know what Dr. Ken and the king talked about that day. I think it had something to do with allowing a new public health, uh, facet of public health in the area. But I remember that Elizabeth and I were just taking everything in. And we noticed that there was a fence. And beyond the fence were hut after hut after hut made of grass and mud. And there were women, lots and lots of women and children. I mean, there were many of them. And that's when I learned that this king, he had 200 wives. Yep, they were all his wives. You see, polygamy was alive and well there. And he, some of the women were old as his grandmother because he inherited the wives from the last king. So every village would present a wife. And it was a real honor to be chosen to be the wife of the king. I just want to go on record to say, mm -mm, I was really... Uh, not thinking that was such an honor. In fact, Elizabeth and I were delighted to get out of there before we made wives 201 and 202, okay? <laughs> so we did. But kings, you know, we have these stereotypical images of what a king is in our minds. 
It seems that they demand our attention and allegiance, and they usually get whatever they want. 200 wives, an audience with the doctor, whatever they want or need. In the Bible, there are some good benevolent kings who did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat. I know after we read the Bible together next year in Bible Project 2020, you are going to be familiar with those names. But there are other kings who were mean and harsh and cruel. The Bible has many stories about kings. In an article I read about from the Christian century, Yvette Schock reminds us that some kings are terrifying and unreasonable. Some give mandates, share policies, build infrastructures in order to harm or diminish those for whom they feel they are threatened by. Like the king of Egypt around the time of Jesus' birth, he was feeling threatened by all the Hebrew slaves. And so he sent an order, made a mandate that all of the baby boys would be killed. Some kings use their power to benefit themselves regardless of the injury they cause to others, and they take actions that have serious consequences for others for no other reason than just to save face. Some are thin-skinned and impulsive and vengeful. Like that King Herod who beheaded John the Baptist simply because his wife Herodias had a grudge against John the Baptist. That was not his first wife, but in a moment of giddy celebration, Herod promised Herodias' daughter, I'll give you whatever you asked. So she asked her mom, what should I ask for? And her mom said, ask for John's head on a plate. And it was done. John lost his life, and it was presented to her on a plate. Yes, thin-skinned, impulsive, vengeful. But now, wait just a minute, Sally. Why the heck are we talking so much about kings today? Well, I mean, there's some good kings in the Bible. It's true, like about five. And there's some bad kings in the Bible, like about 33. But today we're talking about kings because today is what we call Christ the King Sunday in the life of the church. It is the day when it's the last day of the Christian year. It is the day that we reflect upon him on the cross, the crucifixion. And we conclude the year by proclaiming the great mystery of our faith that in the moment of his crucifixion, Jesus is shown to be king and savior of all. Next week, we'll begin Advent, the beginning of the church new year, when we begin to prepare for the birth of Christ once again. But this Sunday this last Sunday of the Christian year, we are invited to make our own judgment about Christ's authority as we gaze into this scene from Luke with the eyes of faith. So what is really going on here in this text? In Luke's gospel, Jesus is full of surprises. The poor become rich, sinners find salvation, the kingdom of God is right here in our midst, and Jesus, he just continued to turn things upside down, things that were not expected, including the meaning of authority and kingship. It's true, Jesus did not come like a powerful King David as the Messiah. 
planning to overthrow the Roman Empire and restore Israel to its rightful place, although many faithful Jews were hoping that's what would happen. No, Jesus did not do what anyone was expecting. He was an unusual savior. He socialized and celebrated with the wrong people. He offered peace and hope to the wrong people. He reprimanded and warned the wrong people about God's coming judgment. And now he is crucified by the powers of Rome with the likes of those outcasts and sinners and reprobates, those folks with whom he hung out. On the day of his crucifixion, we know not just from Luke's account, but all four Gospels declare Jesus of Nazareth did not die alone. Two others were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. We don't know anything about those men, except Matthew and Mark say that they are robbers or thieves. But for whatever reason, they are crucified on that same day with Jesus just outside Jerusalem. And then Luke goes into some detail about what is happening. As he is being crucified, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. You see, Jesus realizes that not only do they know that they are killing God's son, but they don't understand that the kingdom that God is advocating was not simply a change in administration or form of government. Rather, Jesus was announcing the beginning of an entirely different way of being in relationship with one another and with God. Tom Wright says, You see, it is not the ruler that changes, but the realm in which we live. It's not just the ruler, it's all of us, the realm in which we live. They don't get it, do they? And sometimes we don't get it either. The people, some of whom really loved Jesus, were there and they watched the scene. And the leaders, they sneered and they disparaged, they mocked and they laughed at Jesus. He saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Christ, the chosen one. And then they put a sign, a notice above his head it was the formal charge against him, and it read, This is the king of the Jews. John's gospel states that it was written in three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, so that anybody who passed by would be able to read it and understand, and it was a great deterrent for criminal activity. Yes, Pilate wrote a sign above Jesus' head, and so do we. What does your inscription say above Jesus there on the cross? What does your sign say? How ironic, isn't it? By doing this, by placing this inscription above the cross, Pilate is portraying the most profound truth of all, a truth that he didn't understand. This is the king of the Jews. And then one of those criminals chimed in with some sarcastic, indignant words. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Like, if you're going to do this, you know, include me too. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, We are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. 
it is peculiar, strange, paradoxical even, that the good people, those religious leaders, are the ones crucifying God. And it is the criminal, the ultimate outcast, the outsider, who sees and who speaks the truth. And then it's like, it's like he asked Jesus to help him when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Help me, see me, notice me and my suffering. And then an amazing promise follows. I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine the reversal of fortunes for that man? What a complete overturning of conventional religious and theological thought. This is one of Luke's magnificent and surprising examples of an unexpected outcome. Another reminder that God's love, it crosses all barriers and reaches in for us at our deepest and darkest, most desperate places, even on the cross. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Phil Yancey suggests this about these words, Today you will be with me in paradise is a shocking reminder that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather on what God has already done for us. He continues, ask people how they think we will get into heaven, and they will say, be good. But Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do, he says, is to cry help. And God welcomes home anyone who will have him. And in fact, he has made the first move already. You know, if you've driven on I-275 recently near Hillsboro, you might notice a new sign there, a large new mural that I really like. It's larger than life, and the letters simply say, Begin anywhere. Begin anywhere. Decide right now that you are going to claim Christ as your king. Decide right now that you need some help and you're willing to ask for it. Maybe just a little encouragement is what is needed. Begin anywhere, right where you are, and ask Jesus to remember you, to see you, to help you. For indeed, Christ does. In those final moments there on the cross, the criminal received, he felt, he knew that, that someone was with him in his suffering, who was willing to stand in that suffering with him and spoke up against that suffering, and that someone was Jesus. The criminal died knowing he was not alone. So in Jesus, we have a king who is crucified, a king who sees and listens, forgives and grants salvation, a king who invites us in to live as forgiven ones, offering forgiveness to others, seeing others, giving them new life and hope. What a mighty and awesome savior we serve. So friends, what would your sign above Christ on the cross say? Is Christ your sovereign? Some of us might say, I think so. 
maybe we would say yes, especially when it's convenient, or definitely on Sundays, or maybe, or I'm still thinking about it, or I want it to be so. I need some help, and Christ would be there for you. Is Christ your sovereign? Is Jesus the Lord of your life, the one you give ultimate allegiance to? Because we have many distractions in this life. How would you answer that? And how you do answer it has major theological and personal ramifications for the way you live your life day in and day out. It has significance for what kind of leader you are at your office, at your school, at home. It helps determine how you spend your time and your resources. It influences whom you love and care about as well as how you love and whom you're willing to forgive, even yourself. And it's hard, but it is such an important question for us to answer on this last Sunday of the Christian year. Friends, I believe that you all, we all, can claim Jesus as king if we do a few things. If we acknowledge our mistakes, our sin, our errors, the messes we've made, acknowledge the times when we have turned away from God and messed up, times when we've blown it, acknowledge our mistakes. If we ask Jesus to remember us, remember me, help me, see me. Remembering what Phil Yancey says, all we must do is cry help, and God welcomes home all who will have him. Our Savior is just waiting to be asked. And finally, the other is to enact forgiveness towards others and yourself, and to live as one who is forgiven, offering forgiveness to others. Especially this time of year when we are going this Thanksgiving week, maybe it's a good time to think about that one, to forgive yourself and to forgive those who might be sitting around your table this week. You know that day long ago visiting the king of Mushangi province as watching the people shout their praises and just wanting to be near him, I had no idea where my life's journey would go. And when I come to a day like today, a day when I am asked to make a choice about where my allegiances lie, I am oh so grateful that Christ saw me, helped me, forgave me, and invited me on a journey. Today, you have a choice to make. Perhaps it's a reaffirmation or a brand new affirmation. But the question is, who is the king of your heart? Who reigns in your life? And what does that sign above Christ's head say to you? Will you pray with me? Oh, Holy One, we recognize what great lengths you go to reach those in need, to reach us. You were crucified on a cross between two thieves, not in a cathedral between two candles. We thank you for meeting us where we are in those difficult places. And you meet us and you offer us new life and salvation and forgiveness. 
Help us to ask for help when we need it. And help us to offer it to others that we see struggling. May you reign in our hearts and in our lives this day and forevermore. Amen.